Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome to this episode of Growth Island. Today, I got a medical doctor on. Her name is uh, Dr. Heather Smith-Fernandez. She is called by Dave Asprey, one of the leading experts, if not the leading experts on peptides in the world. Peptides is something that we're hearing more and more about and that I got more interested in lately. I actually got some uh, a few weeks ago because of my knee, but that's another story. But I'm pretty excited to, uh, to have the pleasure of having Heather on. As someone like Dave Asprey coins as one of the best in the world, and she's also the founder of Peptology, and she is teaching practitioners around the world about how to use these peptides. So it's pretty exciting. And if you're like, what is peptides? Don't worry, we're going to get into that. And all I can say in the start is it's pretty amazing. It's pretty interesting. So Heather, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Mads. Thank you so much for, for letting me be on uh, your show and to share uh, this time with your audience and yourself. Thank you. Thank you for coming on again. So you have a long track record of different things, uh, of building up different things and also looking at the medical, the traditional Western medicine, and then also seeing like, what can we actually do something like peptides? And you do a lot of anti-aging stuff. And when I was looking at your website, I was like, there's so many things I would like to talk to you about, but this is only one podcast episode. So we'll see if we take how many words we take away, but otherwise peptides. Like, how did you get into working with peptides? Like you took a traditional medical doctor degree and now you're doing all these amazing things. Yes. Well, that's such a great question because it's my origin story. When I was coming out of my very traditional medical doctor residency fellowship program, my goal was to help patients with pain, really, you know, serious pain and not with opioids, with things that actually made pain significantly better long-term, um, you know, that was what we were trying to accomplish as coming out of fellowship. Well, I had the benefit of learning about regenerative medicine while I was in my fellowship. And with the regenerative model, you're not just putting a Band-Aid on something. You're changing the tissues. You're changing the person to have a long-term improved result. And that seemed, well, that's a better choice than a Band-Aid that lasts for two months or less. And, and that, doing the, the regenerative medicine route is where I started to be introduced to peptides. So in trying to get the body to heal tissue, and trying to remodel an area that maybe didn't heal well the first time, whether it's in the skeleton, in the skin, in the connective tissue, or even in the brain and, and other areas of the body that really need a lot of help with healing, especially the older we get, peptides came into that picture. So the first peptide that I was ever exposed to was a peptide called IGF-1, which stands for insulin-like growth factor one. And what IGF-1 is that occurs naturally in the body is it's when your own growth hormone circulates through, goes through the liver and gets metabolized into this active metabolic compound called IGF-1. Then it recirculates and starts hitting receptors and healing tissue and growing tissue and modulating inflammation and doing all these amazing things. Well, the, our fantastic um, scientific community had figured out how to make this peptide outside the body, make it stable and allow us to use it in an injectable form. And it would go and hit these same receptors and start really enhancing the healing response. So 
when I first started using IGF-1, we, there was, you know, we were very few of us, hardly anybody was using peptides. So we couldn't just call a friend and say, hey, well, how, do, how do you, you know, what was your dosing on this? And how did you use this? And what were your results? There was only a handful of us doing it at all. So it took a little bit of time. And that was actually for me close to 10 years ago when I started doing that kind of work. And then we started really seeing with IGF-1, we just saw this incredible response. One of the nicest things was after having a procedure done, patients had way less discomfort. It was incredible how quickly they came through that post-procedure discomfort phase and they were just getting a stronger response. So it was very exciting. Then, because it was such a small group of us, we were connected with the peptide science that was coming in and, and that was being released and it was very exciting. So from IGF-1 used in procedures, I just wanted to learn everything I could about peptides. And then some of the, you know, the growth hormone secretagogues, which we can talk about some of the specifics on those, um, then they started coming into play. And when you start looking at not just repair and recovery for the body, but really turning over tissue and regenerating mitochondria and just getting this much, rather than just this deteriorating process, you're actually meeting the deterioration as it's happening through peptide science. So it's, it's super, super exciting. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, what is a peptide? And it's, it, there's no shame in asking that. It's not obvious what a peptide is unless you're in this world pretty deep. So a peptide, it, most people know what a protein is. A protein is a molecule. The body is made of a lot of different proteins. It's a very big molecule. Hormones are pro, a type of protein molecule. They're very large. They have different areas of the molecule that sit in different receptors and have a different action. So what they figured out how to do is, well, what if that I just looked at just that little section of the protein that sits in this receptor and has this specific action? Could we just make that part? And they could. And so they figured out that a peptide is a chain of amino acids connected by peptide bonds. And historically, the definition of a peptide that made it different from a protein was just the number of amino acids. So almost everywhere in the world, it's still 50 amino acids or less in a chain is considered a peptide and anything over that is considered a protein. In the United States though, our uh, governing bodies just changed that definition for the United States to be less than 40 amino acids. And that, that's a really good question. They haven't exactly told us why they did that, but the implications of which are that any peptide that's over 40 amino acids can no longer be compounded as a peptide. Now it's considered a biologic and a drug, and it has to go through a much bigger approval process, much bigger, much more expensive, much more time consuming. And, um, and so the compounding pharmacies that were, be, that were able to make some of these peptides before, if that particular substance falls into over 40 amino acids, it's no longer being called a peptide and you can't make it the same way. So the, the availability just got significantly more limited. Got it. So that both has something positive and something very negative. The positive part is with supplements, there's not the same standards. And sometimes people promise what's in it, but it's sometimes crap. The negative <laughs> part is that it's going to be so much harder to build something that might not be that complex and that you could do quite well anyway, right? Yes. It's been pretty frustrating for us to adjust to, in the United States, to this kind of new 
idea because we were having such such wonderful responses and the, the safety profile with peptides when they're made in a, you know in an accredited place when they're used properly is so 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 high they're so safe i mean these are a lot of times they're bioidentical substances or they're biosimilar substances and they're so compatible and, and people have very few side effects when they're used properly and tremendous outcomes can we so we can take this so Getting peptides, I think would be the next question. You can take it orally as a pill. You can get an injection. Can you get a yep. cream as well? Or how does it some work? Of them. Yep. Some of them, some of them can be stable in an oral consumption. Not all of them can be. The, some of those, some of the peptides are very fragile and they're easily broken apart in the digestive tract or in the nasal mucosa. And then some of them, and they're getting better and better at packaging the peptides to try to keep them protected so that we can get them through the GI tract through the nasal mucosa or through the skin. Transdermal delivery is becoming very popular because that technology has just really advanced. And transdermal, if someone is like... Through the what? skin, yeah. So, yeah. So there's topical where you're treating whatever it is you're putting it on, that, that little area. And transdermal, we kind of refer to that as when it soaks through the skin, stays intact, and is able to get into a systemic absorption as an intact peptide that you put through the skin. And we've seen some really exciting things with that. And then, of course, they're injectable. Yeah. I'm guessing that the ones where you put it on the skin is also what you do for the face then, that there's new creams coming out with peptides and so on. I know my girlfriend just ordered for a ton of money a new <laughs> face cream for us that uh, have peptides in. What's the status of that? Like, how much of this has been peer-reviewed and validated to work and how much is it is that we see practitioners testing it out and seeing amazing results? That's a great question. Most of the research in peptides and a lot of the peptides have still been in the animal models, but there's quite a bit of research, especially with some of my favorite peptides, BPC-157, which we'll talk about probably a little bit more in detail because it's an amazing peptide that is highly available. The thymocins, both thymocin beta-4 and thymocin alpha-1 have had a lot of research. GHK copper has had a lot of research and the growth hormone secretagogues have had some research. A lot of it's still in animal models, but in, in the in the cosmos, like the cosmetics with the hair regrowth and the skin rejuvenation, there's quite a bit of research in the human trials as well with some of those peptides. So it's not quite as trial and error as it was several years ago, but still much of the research is in animal models and not as many in human trials. Got it. And is it something people can patent? Because if you can patent it, then pharma companies are going to go in with a ton of money. If you can't, often there's just not the money to actually do the research. So where is it in, in regards to peptides? Because is it, yeah. That's, that is a very good point. Some of them are, it's, the way that the peptide is packaged, that's the patentable process, especially if it's an oral consumption or a trans, like through the nose. Actually, there's as many enzymes as the, in the nasal mucosa that break down peptides as there are in the stomach. So, you know, the, the idea of not having to inject is a great idea unless you're breaking apart all your peptides before you can get them into your system. So a lot of times the patentable part is the delivery mechanism and not the actual peptide. If it's a naturally occurring substance, it's very hard to put a patent on it unless they're putting some little extra molecule on the end to make it more stable or they're, you know, they're adding, they're altering it in some way that keeps it viable, but makes it not what is naturally occurring in the body. 
Makes sense. That makes sense. Is there any yeah. ways where we can um, increase the production of peptides naturally without taking injections or pills, anything else? Well, usually it's controlling the inflammation in the body. What we found is that part of the reason that we don't make um, as many of these natural occurring peptides is a state of inflammation, which leads to what we call senescence. You've probably heard that term is now becoming more mainstream. It's this state where you you have these cells that are not functioning properly, they're but they're not dying. So they're just kind of oozing this, you know, toxic spew. And then, and then that makes the cells around them also kind of sick. So and they just stay in this kind of non-functional condition for a really long period of time. When you have too many of your cells that are in that kind of condition, the, the normal functioning cells just can't do all the work and they're taking up space and they're changing the whole environment into one that's not healthy and not health promoting. So kind of working on that area, managing um, chronic inflammation is one of the things that you can do to help your own endogenous peptides continue to be produced. But for example, BPC-157, BPC, so that's one of my favorite peptides. And I'm just going to give you a little bit about BPC. BPC is bioidentical. It is an isolate from human gastric juice. We make that peptide in our GI system. And it's been known to be excellent at all the GI problems that you can have. And a lot of inflammation in the body starts in the gut. That's another thing that we've learned in the preventative health world for the last 15, 20 years. While BPC has a lot of other things that it does, BPC affects the brain, it affects healing in all of the tissues, and it's single-handedly been one of those peptides that I've used in clinical practice to manage pain and to get people to heal much faster, even things that don't want to heal. There's some really fascinating research about BPC actually healing a, a, a sciatic nerve that was cut and separated. So you had one end of the nerve here, one end of the nerve here, and they just formed a, like a conduit and filled it with BPC and the nerve actually came back together and healed itself. And that's incredible. Fascinating. Was that in some mice that we tested that? Or how? I was in the mouse, yeah. That was in the transected sciatic nerve mouse. I have that research study for you and for your audience because it's a, it's a little nerdy and technical, but it's fascinating. The outcome is just amazing yeah. that they did that. Mm -hmm. And then what we've is, seen that also in clinical practice. Yeah. What are some of the other peptides we should know about? Well, BPC is for sure one of them. With BPC, the other thing that's neat about BPC is because it comes from the GI tract, it's very stable and absorbable in the oral form. And in the United States right now, you can get injectable BPC in many places in the world. It's very hard to find the injectable form in the United States right now, but the oral form is pretty readily available. I just encourage everybody to know the sourcing. If you're looking for these things online or you're looking to try to purchase some, just make sure you know what the sourcing is because it's the wild west when it comes to that. So it's good to know, you know, who's making that, where's the, where are the ingredients coming from, or if it's a really trusted source. And BPC is also something that can be transdermal or in the skin itself, and it is a wonderful product. So I can't say enough nice things about BPC. I've had patients who have just severe, my one patient, she's young and she has severe rheumatoid arthritis, just severe. She already has misshapening, you know, her joints are becoming misshapen. She's not even 35 and she's just been struggling with this for so long. And I had a combination of BPC-157 
and thymosin beta-4 that I treated her with, and thymosin alpha-1, we'll talk about those in a minute, to kind of load her up. And without steroids, without anything else, all of her inflammation came down and she became functional again, just with the peptide regimen, and which is really exciting for, for her and to, for the idea of, you know, with such a debilitating disease as that at such a young age, the peptides that have no side effects and can be used safely, as far as we know, long-term, what a nice alternative it's been for her. Yeah, that's fantastic when people get their life back. I think more and more people are waking up to that there is ways. Like you shouldn't give up just because your normal system has told you there's nothing that you can do or that you're crippled very well. I have a friend with the same disease who was in a wheelchair on and off for 10 years until like that was just going to be his life. But he's walking and he is, but he's also done a lot. He also do peptides and many other things and he wants to look more into stem cells, which are not really available that much in Denmark, but really do everything that he can to get as normal as a life as possible. Absolutely. That's, I'm so happy for him that he found that path. Because yeah. it's got, it has just the promise of, and, and, and there's real results with real people, you know, and it's not that the other more traditional therapies don't help people, but there's so, you know, when you see some of the long-term side effect concerns with some of the pharmaceutical options, if you don't, if you can go with a peptide that is going to have all these other positive effects on the body, including, you know, for your brain, for your gut, for your immune system in general. And it's, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. So for sure, the BPC. Now, thymosin alpha-1, I can't not talk about thymosin alpha-1 because it is such a powerful, amazing peptide. So the thymosins are, we have a gland called the thymus gland. And our thymus gland secretes these, these peptides called thymosins. And they discovered them basically when they were looking, they, it was an animal study. And they were looking at thymus tissue and they found all these different peptides and they called them the thymus and thymus in fraction five. And these different thymus and peptides had different effects on the immune system. And they actually were upright, you know, increasing the amount of certain immune cells, especially the immune cells that have that regulate our immune system and that scavenge for cancer. Being able to upregulate or, or increase the numbers and productivity and the lifespan of those cells has a tremendously positive effect on the immune system. And what we found with thymosin alpha-1, which actually had a degree of, of FDA approval, it had orphan drug status here, and then the FDA removed that. And, and we don't really know why. But the thymosin alpha-1, extremely safe, was used in infants and the extreme elderly, and it could really change what's happening in the immune system. Autoimmune conditions were being dramatically turned around with thymosin alpha-1. It was also used very successfully to manage the cytokine storm that was happening with certain uh, viral that created a massive cytokine storm and, were, and was taking the lives of people. And there's three really good studies on that particular use for uh, thymosin alpha-1. And I've, I've just found it to be so effective even in somebody who's just coming down with a little cold or they're in the beginnings of getting sick, they can bolus use thymosin alpha-1 and it supercharges that aspect of the T-cell mediated part of their immune system. They don't get sick. It's just fantastic. But that regulation of the inflammatory response and that immune response, was it's, it's just incredibly affected in a positive way by thymosin alpha-1. So TA1 is an injectable peptide. It's not been prepared successfully in any other form, but it's a little tiny injection. It's not a difficult injection to do. It's just, you just have to find some skin. It's a little tiny shark needle. You hardly feel it. Fair. So how often do you... Menopause. 
Like how often would you take well, different it peptides? depends. There's different. There are some peptides you can take ongoing. I like to cycle almost all peptides just because, especially if you're injecting. Personally, I use a lot of peptides and your real estate gets sore. <laughs> your skin just says, I want to break. <laughs> so it's nice to cycle off, give your skin a break, let your real estate rest a little bit, and then kind of resume um, your peptide program if you're doing injectables. Now, BPC-157 has been used ongoing without much of a break or much of cycling at all um, and be because of all the benefits that it provides. So it's that's one that a lot of people use con continuously. Or I usually tell them, don't take anything continuously. If you can, just at least take a week or two off. Just let everything kind of reset and then resume. Now, the growth hormone secretagogues are a little bit different. My recommendation with the things like CJC, ipamorelin, um, the, the peptides that actually help your own brain pulse out a higher amount of your own growth hormone. This is not using human growth hormone. This is just getting your own body to release more of the growth hormone that you already made. That's one of the mechanisms that starts to slow down a little bit as we age, is that we make it, but we have the ability to make it, but we don't pulse it out to the degree that we used to. So these peptides that are the growth hormone secretagogues, they will actually get a bigger pulse of growth hormone and it's a very natural cyclical process, just like our own natural pulse of growth hormone, which is very different than giving human growth hormone, which is not pulsatile at all. It's just giving it and then it's circulating in the system all the time. So you can, it's, it's a very different mechanism. But with the growth hormone secretagogues, I always recommend what we call cycling. So you use them five days on, two days off. You don't use them every day anyway. And then you maybe for three to four months and then cycle off for, you know, two to four weeks. Just let all your receptors reset, let your real estate rest, and then you can resume. How much does this kind of stuff cost? If That's someone is sitting listening, like, I want to get chopped up, filled up with these peptides, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Where do I go? Like, I, I, I've watched the bill. Yeah, that's a good question. You can end up with you know, a couple hundred dollars a month up to over a thousand dollars a month, depending on how robust you want your peptide program to be. There are some places that I know of that are international that are still making some of these peptides. I know they're reliable sources and um, it's just being able to get connected. These are prescription. BPC in an oral form is not prescription right now, but the injectable peptides, you have to get them prescribed unless you're buying research peptides, which I typically caution people to be very careful doing. <clears throat> there are some good companies out there, I know, but they don't have the requirements to test them for purity and for stability. How do you figure out, and that's a problem with supplements in general, like how do you figure out the good quality? That's a tough one because most people aren't going to try to find an independent research lab and send a specimen and try to you know, get a big report. It usually comes more from word of mouth from people who are in the know. Somebody like it's my responsibility to to know, yes, this is a source that I've used. I've used it successfully. I've had outcomes with their products. We've had no negative effects. Here's a good example. So I have a story for you. You've heard of the tanning peptide melanotan, right? So melanotan is a peptide for somebody who is white as snow, like me. Um, I live in South Florida, which is um, hotter than Hades for half the year here. The sun is extremely intense. You can get a sunburn walking across the parking lot. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. It's so hot here. So I have to be very careful to not just fry my skin every, you know, 
six months out of every year. So melanotan is a tanning peptide, but it does more than that. It actually works in the melanocortin system in the brain, which modulates inflammation. It helps with sleep. There's, a, there's an intimacy component to it, but ultimately it's going to increase the melanin production of your own melanocytes. So you are going to be tan. You're going to be able to have a natural color tan that your body was meant to have, and it protects you from sunburn. So melanotan has a very common side effect of nausea. Not very fun. It's like upwards of 25% of people who use it will feel that nausea. Now, if you're using a regular dose and you're not getting crazy with the dosing, and it, most people, the nausea lasts for 15, 20 minutes, and then it kind of goes away. And it can be usually managed with some anti-nausea stuff, like BPC-157, by the way, you make the nausea go away. But, so I had this patient of mine who was desperate to get the melanotan because they were going to a tropical place and they wanted to be able to have it ahead of time. My regular supplier was out. They were back ordered. He found a compounding pharmacy, which is a legitimate, you know, it wasn't like some back alley place, legitimate compounding pharmacy and said, please order it from them for me. And I said, okay, I ordered it from them. We got the melanotan. The first dose that he took, he was vomiting every 30 minutes for almost two days. The nausea was absolutely intractable. He had to go to the emergency room because he was getting so dehydrated. It was way exaggerated side effect than should have ever happened. And so I contacted the compounding pharmacy and I said, what happened? What is, you know, what? And they said, oh no, you know, we got it from, but it was clearly not, not the same product that had been used with nothing like that had ever happened. So knowing everything about the product can make a difference like that. I felt so bad for him. Yeah. It'd go away. <laughs> Look, good to hear. So that yeah. leads to two questions. And um, the first, so if I got it right, if you get that, you'll get a natural, you'll get a tan without being in the sun or it just helps you when you go to the sun? No, without being in the sun. Okay. Without being in the sun. It's not like a tan accelerator. This is no. with no sun exposure at all. Your skin just starts producing melanin. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. I should, I, I don't have any before and after pictures or I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you an after picture of, of when I've used melanotan. And yep. I don't go in the sun. I, I just use it so that when mm. I walk across the parking lot, I don't get sunburned. I would love to see that. That sounds incredible. <laughs> uh, and I know a lot of people that would love to get their hands on that. Yeah. And now you told the case as well about someone that had some challenges with like a bad supply and that would like lead to anything. Like what are some of the critique from like the more established, established Western science saying like, hey, this peptide are not that uh, proved or safe or so on. Like what's the critique that it's getting? Well, one of, the, one of the things that in some of the, if you look in the internet, melanotan is actually a good one. And you'll see some of these scary stories or these scary reports about this person had this horrible thing happen. A lot of times they were peptides just purchased blindly off the internet. And I'm not, you have to dig into the small print to find, well, where did the peptide come from? And usually it was a dose that was completely inappropriate, like 10 times what any you know, physician would have suggested they use, and it was some unknown, you know, ordered off the internet. Melanotan is exceptionally, these negative reports that you'll see. The other thing is the mode in which you take the peptide. So I'm going to give you another example of that. There's a, uh, now pentosin polysulfate, which is used for arthritis, 
it's not an actual peptide. It's actually a xylem. It's like a small molecule, but it behaves so much like a peptide that it kind of gets lumped in with the rest of our peptides. Extremely effective at helping our arthritis. It actually reverses some of the joint damage done by arthritis. It'll regrow articular joint cartilage and it slows the breakdown of cartilage and modulates that whole inflammatory response. So pentosin is amazing and I use it a lot in my practice. I have another story for you and then I'll tell you the difference of why you have to use it the way it's supposed to be used. I have a patient who had horrible arthritis of the thumbs. You've probably seen that before where, you know, it's very, this joint right here is really vulnerable to getting arthritis in it. And it was really bad for him. And he was told he's going to need to get both of them replaced. And that's a horrible surgery to have both of those joints replaced. If you don't have to get that surgery, you wouldn't want to. And he was a guitar player, like, a, you know, a pretty serious guitar player. And the surgeon told him, you'll never play guitar again. Said, I, you've got a 50% chance I can get your joint pain to go away by replacing the joint, but you'll never play guitar again. So he reluctantly said, well, let me try your peptides. I don't think they're going to work, but I want to try them. And so I did a course of Pentosin for him and injectable Pentosin with BPC-157 and all of his joint pain went away. He's playing guitar for hours a day. Again, they didn't think that would ever happen for him. And so it's, it was extremely effective. Now, Pentosin, again, if you read the research, Pentosin polysulfate was also used for bladder inflammation for, for a condition called um, interstitial cystitis, which is very painful inflammation of the bladder. It was initially developed as an oral pill for that condition. However, when you take it orally, there's about a 1% chance of getting this strange retinopathy damage to the retina of the eye. And that's noted in all of the research. There's a risk of retinopathy. But when you use the injectable form, that doesn't happen. It's only in the oral form that is a risk. So making sure that people are understanding the risks, understanding why would we use injectable and not just go with the simple oral um, option with some of these as well. So there's that. Um, there's sometimes there's speculation by folks who don't understand the mechanism of peptides, but there's really not been a lot of negative press. The growth hormone secretagogues, when even science people don't understand the difference between human growth hormone and a growth hormone secreting peptide, then they're going to latch all of the negative effects from human growth hormone onto the peptide. And really, that's not the case. With a growth hormone secreting peptide, you're not going to get these massive super physiological levels of growth hormone, you're only going to get whatever your brain is capable of secreting without really being manipulated. It's just helping to get the secretion better. And here's another really cool thing. Those peptides themselves, there's receptors everywhere in our body, not just for the growth hormone, but for the peptide. So the peptide is not only helping you to get a bigger pulse of growth hormone, it's going to your joints and your muscles and your tendons and actually having a healing response, just the peptide itself. That's pretty cool. Sounds fascinating. So Heather, how long do you think it's going to take before this becomes mainstream? Well, I hope it doesn't take much longer. <laughs> but part of the challenge we have is that peptide science is technical. I mean, you know, for a lot of people, it's even a lot of you know, medical doctors, they haven't looked at what's going like cellular biology, because a lot of peptides have their action inside the cell, not necessarily in the plasma. So then you have to think about nucleus and mitochondria and cytoplasm. 
and membranes and how and the electron transport chain and how is it all working? And so that's just going into a very technical reboot. And so even a lot of physicians just kind of feel like, I don't know, that's, that just seems so foreign and I don't think I really want to learn it. But as we get more, you know, information out there so that the, the average people who are just looking for a preventative health model, I think peptides have to have a place in a preventative health model. It's hard for me to imagine them not being included in that because of how they can help the cell itself become younger, become more resilient, you know, getting rid of that senescence. And you can you feel them. I mean, you can really feel the difference when you have that peptide optimized program working for you, whether it's losing fat that you don't want, it's building muscle that you do want, or it's recovery after exercise or activity, better sleep, big time better sleep. And we all know the importance of that. It's mm -hmm. hugely important to sleep well. Then we have peptides that lengthen telomeres, which is one of the metrics of reversing aging. Um, what's so, the results we've seen in regards to that? Like, uh, that? Have, what's the results that we've seen in regards to lengthening telomeres, which is one of, you said, the signs of aging or one of the things we believe is associated yes, with aging? We do. There's a, I know that there's a lot to telomere science. Like, for example, some of the researchers will say, well, it's not just the length of your telomeres. It's the rate of shortening that's more important. But if you think about it, we have to start someplace. So yeah. when you look at a telomere length of somebody who's a certain age and it's significantly shorter than where it should be, that's certainly not, you know, you don't need to ignore that. But, but when looking at epitalin, so epitalin is the peptide that was, that was actually studied and showed that there was a lengthening of telomeres. Well, for epitalin for me does so much more than that. So that's just a bonus as far as I'm concerned that it may help lengthen my telomeres, whether it reduces the rate of shortening or actually makes them, you know, longer. And that ends up being super, super significant for aging, which I know not everybody is convinced it is. But epitalin also improves your, improves your deep sleep. Yeah. Big time improves your deep sleep. And it sensitizes the part of your brain where hormones are working. So your hormones actually work better in your brain. So, and there's probably a lot of other things that it does that we still don't know about yet. It's one of my favorite guys. It is amazing what's going to happen in the coming years when we learn more and more. I'm super curious about telomeres because aging and longevity is one of the things that I also spent some time on digging down into. And I know one of the best results we've seen with telomeres, at least what I've been told, is hyperbaric oxygen chambers. <laughs> there was a study of like uh, 30 individuals over 63 in, uh, in Israel, and I think they managed to increase the telomeres with 20% and also wow. increases it. And there has been like, I was told, one of the most, or the best results that I've ever been seeing uh, in regards to increasing telomeres, where normally with exercise and so on, we might be able to increase it with a few percent. Right. I was curious to know, like, if we know how, like, how many percent, if you remember that from the study or whether it was. I don't, increased. I don't remember. I don't remember the percentage. I don't think it was 20%. Oh. That's really phenomenal. At least not consistently, maybe in one or two subjects, it would be that much, but it was more than exercise, like more yeah. than exercise and diet alone and, and meditation that's, you know, that there's a whole program that is, you know, working towards slowly lengthening telomeres and, but the epitalin was statistically significant in lengthening them, but 20% is impressive. And. Yeah, it it was some uh, some amazing results, and it, I think it's an interesting question always to see like because there's so many things you can do. You could do biohacks or like health improvements all day long and spend all your money. So it's also figuring out like which thing do you choose? Uh, yes. Do you have more time? Do you have more money? Accessibility and so right. on. Where hyperbaric oxygen chambers, they spend uh, 
I think it was 30 sessions over 45 days or like 60 sessions or 90 days, right? It's a lot of time that you need to spend. So you also want to measure that and up against potentially just taking a pill or an injection. And then what are the results? Yeah, I know. Every, we all have to count our... Be mindful of our resources. So if somebody were asking me with limited resources, besides the intermittent fasting, which I'm a huge proponent of intermittent fasting. And when I say that schedule feeding, intermittent fasting, however it works best, having a period that's that you're fasting in is, is one of the easiest things you can do that's going to help all the cells in your body start to turn over better. But as far as peptides are concerned, there's a few that really give you your bang for your buck. Now, Everybody's coming in with a little bit of a different, you know, area that's vulnerable. For example, if somebody's sleep is really compromised and they're just having a really difficult time, I would tell them, why don't you focus on the peptides that we know are going to help you sleep better? The growth hormone secretagogues, the CJC and ipamorelin, epitalin is going to do that. We have deep sleep inducing peptide. There's actually a peptide that will increase your amount of deep sleep. So I would probably tell that person, that's the peptide arena that you probably want to focus on first so that, because it's such a huge thing. If somebody, you know, we have quite a few peptides that are pretty good for intimacy. So if somebody's having a real difficult time with relationships or intimacy and sexual health, I would tell them besides BPC-157, which I think everybody should probably take, focus on the peptides like the melanotan, which definitely has um, a sexual uh, health component to it. And it, it's an aphrodisiac. Then there's PT-141, there's apomorphine, which is non-injectable. So there's quite a few in that arena. And then if there's inflammation or there's autoimmune or there's, you know, I would say general anti-aging, BPC, the thymusins, you know, one of those growth hormone secretagogues that you can cycle on and off and epitalin probably would be my short list. Cool. Yeah. What uh, would you recommend for someone that got a knee injury? BPC-157 for sure. I would take oral and injectable. You but don't how much? have how much. Well, if you've got a 3000 microgram per milliliter, like if you have a five milliliter bottle in a standard preparation, I would do 20 to 25 units or 0.25 mLs subcutaneously daily. You can do BPC several times a day, especially if you know, you're just acutely injured yourself and you're trying to get that inflammation down. You can do that twice a day. It's not as cost. It's a little cost prohibitive to do it that much twice a day, but you can do it that way. And the thymus and beta-4, BPC-157 and thymus and beta-4 used together, incredibly powerful for an acute injury. Now, for a knee in particular, we have an AOD combined with hyaluronic acid injectable component that goes into the knee itself. And AOD-9604 is very good at helping tissue recover. AOD is the last 16 amino acids of the growth hormone molecule. And it is one of the sections of the growth hormone, big growth hormone molecule that is responsible for repair and turnover of tissue. So it's a nice one. And you, that one needs to go in the knee though. That study was done with, with rabbit, an animal study, and they were actually doing a human pilot as well. And I don't think that they finished it with AOD combined with hyaluronic acid injected into the knee. I've used it in practice and it's been amazing. I had one patient who he had, he had his knee, what kept bothering him. He didn't have a big instability, but it hurt after tennis. It hurt after activity. When I got an MRI, 
the, li the lining, the synovial lining, which is the lining inside the joint that produces fluid, it was all thick and abnormal looking and irritated and inflamed. And that's a really good scenario for AOD. So I told them all the different options, including PRP and cells and all the other stuff that we do. And I said, you know, I think you're a really good candidate to just try this peptide. And he said, okay. So we did six weeks, once a week, completely gone. All this pain completely gone. He's placed tennis like five days a week and he's 65 years old. So he's, that was four years ago. Never had a problem. That is fantastic. It is fascinating what's happening with we're learning about things that we can do to regenerate the body. I think it's also so much money flowing into regeneration and longevity and so on. Time is running really fast. So if you want to learn more about peptides and so on, you have a program for that. Yes, sir. I do. Actually, I have, I have a couple of, of training programs. One that I developed just not that long ago for non-physicians, for like the biohacker community like us, who are really just want to learn a lot more of the details about each peptide. So there's that training that's available. You can um, go to peptology.com and um, you can find that there. And then there's, if you're a provider and you want to learn how to offer like peptide therapy for your patients. I have two different courses that I did to teach providers how to do this. And it's turnkey. Everything you need to know is in the course. It's not just telling you about a peptide. It's actually mm. telling you how to dose them, what, you know, what to expect, every, the whole thing, because that's what, in order to be able to provide this, you know, when we trying to figure all that out all in one place. And so we did a course for repair and recovery. And then I did a second course for aesthetics, sexual health, and hair restoration. So, and I've got a free gift for your audience. If they're in, in love with peptides already, the way that I am, then um, they want to learn more. There is, let me show this. Yep. To get your free gift, go to drheather.net slash mats. And this will take you to a place where you can select whether you're a provider or non-provider. So for the non-providers, there's a top 10 conditions treated with peptides and a little ditty about which peptide and why it works for that. And it's a PDF. And then for providers, there's actually a protocol. So I shared one of our most commonly used peptides and the actual protocol of how to use it. So what I can show you. Yeah. That's what it'll look like when you go there. Yep. This is drheather.net slash lines. I will put that in the show notes as well. Heather, where can people find you otherwise? I try to search for you on Instagram. And I, you know, <laughs> I'm the worst social media person ever. I'm trying to get better about that. So I'm not on Instagram yet, but I will be. You can always contact me through the website, drheather.net. We have a whole contact there. The information comes right into our central office here. And I'm only one layer away from that. So, so people can get in touch with us that way. It's the most effective way to get a hold of us so far. But I'm working on getting more savvy with the social media. <laughs> Well, I, I think it's nice also just to spend time on helping people and not spending all that time. But even though you're helping people with social media when you're producing the right things, I admire that you're just spending the time on working on your craft and, and then oh, thank you. getting enough people in that way. Cool. Thank you. Any That's other, very great. <laughs> any other places where people should look out for you? So go to the website, go to the link that I'll put here in the show note, and those are the places to kind of follow uh, the news about what you're doing and where you're appearing. Yes. Yep. We have, we're trying to keep everybody in the loop on the things as they come up. I, yes. And I'll, you probably see me. I'm, I'm still working with Dave Asprey. Dave and I are, we have a project we're working on together. So 
I'll, you'll probably see my little face pop up again with, with the peptide project that we're working on together. But, well, we're going to, we're working on um, bringing a whole transdermal and aesthetic peptide line to market that unlike anything that's out there right now with the knowledge and experience that we've had over years of, of using these. And we've got some pretty exciting technologies on how to keep them, you know, get them through the skin and keep them active. So that's where, that's what we're working on now. Very exciting. That sounds interesting. Let me know once that's, that's happening. I would love to learn more about that. Will do. Cool. I always end up asking, what are three advice you would give to the listeners about how to live a happy, healthy, and meaningful life? That's a wonderful question. I would say take, start your day with gratitude. Listen to things that bring you joy only. Make sure that you're tempering the negativity around you with things that are really, truly joyful and, and make you feel that deep gratitude in your heart for the amazing life that you have and all the really positive things that are in it, guard your sleep. You will have sleep thieves out there that will try to steal your sleep, including Wi-Fi, unplug your router, just unplug it. Put the phone, use an old-fashioned alarm, just have no radio waves, no nothing going on, and guard your sleep. And then the third thing would be, besides peptides, <laughs> I'd say intervene early. If you feel like something isn't right, don't wait and think it's just going to go away. You know, find somebody who's like you who will listen to your story and listen to what's going on and not just dismiss you and not keep their head down the whole time you're talking to them. And early intervention can be the key to really preventing some yucky things in healthcare. Fantastic. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure being here. I look forward to next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share it with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.